Day, everybody. Women, happy Mother's Day. It's so good to be back. I was here two years ago for Mother's Day, and I just want you to know I love being a part of you. I love being here. This church is just so warm and welcoming. Um, you're unforgettable. And I can imagine as you go out into the community, people feel that about you. And the more people want to be a part, can you? I mean, we can't even find seats for people. This is growing, and people just want to be a part of it. This is an awesome church community. And Dan and I, like you said, oh, yeah, we can do, I mean, you guys, Dan and I go way back, like he was saying, like 20 plus years back. We actually went to the same college, but I didn't go when he went. He's older than me. <laughs> I met him at a college retreat that he was a speaker at, and I was in a, like a wrestling moment in my life where I was working for Radio Disney. I wanted to be a DJ and also helping out in our high school ministry and really felt like God was calling me to be a pastor and to speak and to speak not on just things that the radio thinks are cool, like the latest movies or, you know, silly games, but to actually proclaim Jesus Christ. And so when I met Dan at this college camp, I said, do you, do you take interns? Like, I, 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 I went to college for speech communication, but now I got to go to Bible college and learn more about the Bible. Do you take interns because I need that to graduate? And he said, we never have. But why don't you come and we'll figure it out? So um, I moved from my house or my town eight hours to Northern California, and I got to learn from Dan and his leadership and really confirm the calling on my life being with students. I started as a youth pastor, and um, it's just been incredible. Dan and Carolina are dear, dear friends to us, and um, yeah, grateful. By the way, did you all know before they had kids, they had cats? <laughs> I lived with them for a short time. It was really fun. Anyway, <laughs> um, happy Mother's Day. Let's get back to the real thing. Happy Mother's Day. If you are a mother of bio kids, foster kids, adopted kids, nieces, nephews, grandchildren, if you mother your classroom kids, your small group kids in your youth group, if you mother your, your younger coworkers or your siblings, oldest child here, you are a gift to this world. Women, you are incredible. And your purpose is to nurture and raise up the next generation as mothers. You don't have to have biological children to be a mothering person in this world. So I would like all women, if you could please stand so we can celebrate you. The last church I spoke at, they made you dance for cupcakes. I won't make you do that. Stand for two seconds so we can honor women. Thanks, you guys. You can be seated. You are a gift. You are a value. Your presence is felt in this world. And I also need to say that I understand that there are people here today that are grieving this holiday. This is a complicated holiday. We celebrate Mother, Mother's Day and mothering. And yet there are some of us with an incredible gap in our hearts because we've never had a mom, or because we have a strained relationship with our mom, or because we had an awesome mom and she's no longer with us. And I just want to make sure that I mentioned today, I re recognize that today is complicated and, and you're grieving. And this church, we see you, we hold you up, and we are here for you. And I just want you to know that God sees you as well. Speaking of Mother's Day or mothering, I have two boys. I'm a boy mom. 
And if you saw me two years ago, they've grown up. Look at this. They're giants. Brody and Deacon. Brody is fifth grade. Deacon is fourth grade. Uh, Brody's in the purple. Deacon's in the, the bright yellow. And they are awesome. We are all about Fortnite, Sonic the Hedgehog, soccer, baseball, martial arts, comic books. You name it, we are boys. And uh, I'm the only girl in my house, which is normal because I grew up with all brothers. So I think God just had that plan for me. But I love these boys so much. I don't even know, like, it's literally like my heart outside my body walking around. Um, There was last week, I I was journaling to God. It's just becoming more and more uh, real to me that as they're becoming preteens, yikes, that I don't know how to guide them to Jesus. You know, in the past when they're younger, you can force them to Jesus, like you're going to church. I just felt deeply in my heart, like, wow, they're, they have their own friends. They're doing their own things. This is getting a little bit scarier. I have to open my hands. And God, I, I just pray to you. I don't want my kids to be indoctrinated with the word. I don't want them to follow the rules and feel guilty all the time. I want them to know you, God. I want them to have a personal relationship with you and experience you every single day. And that's complicated and scary, and I don't know how to do that as a mom. So I'm writing this out in my journal. Later on that day, I pick up the boys from school and we're in the car with Milo, our cute dog you saw in the picture. And as we're driving home, my youngest, Deacon, out of nowhere, you guys, says, Mom, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. (sighs) Like my heart dropped. Like, my heart was fluttering. Like, how do I, what do I say in this moment? Like, this was a huge crisis for me. And then he kept going, or George Washington. And I was like, wait, 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 I'm sorry, honey. What did you just say? Did you say you don't believe in Jesus or you don't believe in George Washington? And he said, I said both. And I was like, okay, expand on that. What are you saying? And because, you know, I'm like, how do I have the right words to say in this moment? And he goes, well, you know, I draw comics, right? I was like, yeah. And he goes, I make up characters. And how do I know that, you know, my Bible is a comic book. It's got all these characters in it. How do I know that somebody didn't make up Jesus and just drew his drawing and give him a name? And now everybody says to believe in Jesus. And the same with George Washington. How do we know he really existed? He's not alive. Did somebody just make him up? And we had this amazing conversation about skepticism with a fourth grader, you guys, about doubt, about what we believe, about the fact that mommy's actually been to Jerusalem and walked the paths that Jesus walked and that historically Jesus has been documented, not just in the Bible, but in extra biblical historical documents. And same with George Washington, that there are actual locations and places that there's proof that Jesus existed and that he is real and he resurrected. It's never been misproven. And it was the coolest conversation, but I got a giggle about this conversation. I couldn't laugh while he was talking to me. I had to take this seriously. It was so good, but it made me think, you know, we don't really outgrow those questions, do we? Might get more sophisticated. It's not Jesus and George Washington. It's, God, do you see me in my pain? God, do you really exist? God, do you hear my cry? God, did you really create all of this? Because the Big Bang makes a lot more sense than sometimes. God, can you rescue me? God, are you really good? As I watched the news, I don't know, God, I had doubts. 
And so I love that your church is doing a series called Experiencing God. Just like where I'm trying to help my son not just learn about God and hear about God, but experience God. And so we're in week five of that series, and I just want to take you back to what you've learned so far. Even though I haven't been here, I've been watching online. I'm with you. I'm not omnipresent, but I'm with you. Okay, week one, God is always at work around you. I think that was Dan's last sermon he gave before he had his surgery. And God is always at work around you. Second week, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. The third week, God invites you to become involved with him in his work. And the last week, you guys talked about God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. That's a lot of words. Today, we're going to talk about God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Now, I want you guys to look at these first four weeks how warm and gooey they are. God loves you. He pursues you. He speaks to you through the Holy Spirit and the church and circumstances. And then today, guys, that's where the rubber meets the road. God invites you to work with him and always leads you to what? A crisis of belief. A crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Yikes. Sorry. Happy Mother's Day. Let's talk about crisis. The word crisis, the Bible's written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The word crisis in the Greek in the Bible, it actually is this word krisis that's translated as decision or choice or a judgment that needs to be made. So what that really means is when there's a crisis like Chick-fil-A being closed on Sunday, not a crisis, not a crisis. Having a bad hair day, not a crisis. A a, a crisis is when there's a fork in the road, where there's a, a decision that has to be made. And when you have a crisis of belief, when God is saying, come, I'm inviting you to work with me, to do good things with me, you're gonna automatically, always, not occasionally, not sometimes, you will always have a crisis of belief when God invites you to do his work. And so the crisis is, will I go with what I know and what I understand and what I can control? Can I try and make this work the way I want it to go? Or am I going to lean into God and trust that he's got me? That's the real question. Do I believe that God's got me even when I'm feeling pain, even when I'm feeling vulnerable, even when I'm scared and I have worries instead of, I know the strategies of this. If I find all the facts and the statistics, I can figure this one out. I, I, I don't, I don't want to go this way. It's very unclear, but this way is very clear. And I can follow that path. It reminds me of when we got Milo, my two-year-old Zushan puppy. Isn't he cute? When he was a puppy, we tried to teach him how to walk on a leash. Have you taught a dog how to walk on a leash? Have you done this? How many have done this? It is a struggle. This little baby, he's my third baby. We'll put him on a leash and automatically he's darting for the street and choking himself along the way, right? Or he's wrapping himself around a tree and I'm like, come on. He's peeing on everything. He's sniffing everything. And I just want to get him to where he wants to go, which is the dog park, Dutch bros where he can get a pub cup, 
I have good intentions for him, but he is having his own, he wants to go his own way, his own will, and he thinks he knows where he's going. It took a long time struggling and choking him, which I, I don't think that's the right metaphor with God and I. <laughs> but getting him to just learn to walk in step. You know, when we finally trained him, it was like the leash is loose. And he's just looking up and smiling and walking because he knows he's going to get that pup cup. And he trusts, and I've built trust with him through walking step by step, side by side, not getting too far ahead, not being stuck behind. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I love that experiencing God, this series, you're, you're studying through the book of, or the life of Moses. Moses was a real guy with real doubts about God and uh, a crisis that he had to go through where God was calling him to speak in front of Pharaoh and release God's people from Egyptian oppression. Yet these real moments of crisis of belief, this was quite an assignment when God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. Moses was shepherding He'd been doing that for 40 years, which is a very safe job. And before that, if you've studied his life, he actually was born of Jewish descent. And at that time, the Pharaoh was trying to kill all Jewish boys. And so his mom put him in a basket, sent him down the Nile River, and Pharaoh's daughter discovered him and adopted him and raised him as her own. And when she did that, he got the privilege of the palace even though he was of Jewish descent. And as he grew up, he started to understand and found out that he was actually one of God's people. And that changed the setting for everything as he was watching how Egyptians were treating Jews, that the Israelites were enslaved and they were beaten and they were oppressed and they were in this horrible position where they had just migrated because of famine the Egyptians had taken over and had won over power over them. And so God said, I've seen the misery of my people. And he's telling this to Moses in a burning bush. And I want you to release my people. You're going to go to the new Pharaoh and you're going to ask Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses instantly has a crisis because at that time when he, he was watching his people and the Egyptians, how they were treating each other, he had run away to Midian because he got so angry when he watched these people oppress the Israelites. He saw an Egyptian soldier do this to one of the slaves and he was so upset he murdered the Egyptian soldier. And in the crisis of that, he ran away to Midian. He got married. He became a, a shepherd and he hid. And God discovered him where, right where he was and said, I want you to come free my people. But Moses struggled with uh, what he was going to do in this moment. And this request from God, it was a huge assignment. And so he replies back to God where God's inviting him to walk with him and to work with him in his story. He has five excuses he gives to God. First one in excuses in Exodus chapter 3. It says, but Moses protested to God, who am I to be appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? You know, he sees his inadequacies and he's fearful and reluctant to do what God's telling him to do. You know, how will the new Pharaoh, you know, respond to him? How will God's people respond to him? Who am I, God, to appear before these people? And God replies with, I am with you. 
I'm going to be with you. And actually, proof that I'm with you, you're going to notice when when the people are released because I've called you to release them, you will worship me on this same mountain. You will see my hand in all of this. I got you. But Moses replies a second time. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? What do I tell God, your people about you need to come follow me? They don't know me now. And God responded with, tell them I am sent you. Now, I am is like the most sacred name of God. It's from Yahweh. It means he's limitless. He's yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God of all gods. And this is in contrast to the Egyptian gods that the God's people were surrounded with, right? Like, like Isis who had dominion over women and children and medicine. The Egyptian gods at the time, they had faces and bodies and birth stories and death stories, but God is saying, I am. I just exist. I am the most powerful God. I am. Tell them I am sent you, and they will know that I called you to do this. But Moses protested a third time. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? You're crazy. God responds and says, okay, fine. Show them three miracles. I'm going to show you three miracles that you're going to present in front of Pharaoh and God's people, and they will surely then believe that I sent you. So the first miracle he teaches him to do, he said, what's in your hand? And he has a shepherd's staff. Isn't it so interesting? God never asks us to develop into somebody that we're not or to use anything we don't already have when he's calling us and inviting us to do something. What's in your hand? Throw that on the ground. So Moses throws the shepherd's staff on the ground and what what happens? What's it turn into? A snake. And Moses is terrified. Ah, And he runs away. (laughs) And God says, go pick that up. Picks it back up. It turns back into a shepherd's staff. He said, if that doesn't work, Try this other miracle. Put your hand inside your cloak. So when Moses did that and he pulled it out, it was covered in what? Leprosy. Leprosy was this really horrible disease, skin disease, where it ate away. His hand turned white. Your skin falls off. You're, you're unclean, and you need to be out of the town. People are afraid of how contagious you are. And so it's very, very scary to see somebody with leprosy. And so he puts it back in his cloak, and he pulls it out again, and it's healed. She's like, show them that. Surely I'm with you. They can see that these are miracles you couldn't do on your own. The third miracle, he says, if they don't believe you after those two, take some water from the Nile River and throw it on the ground. So he did that, and it turned into what? Blood. Three miracles. And now this is getting real. (laughs) Moses is like, wait a sec. I don't want to do any of these things. Like, and so he, he, and God's constantly replying with like, I've got you, but fear's got this grip on Moses. And so Moses replies with the fourth excuse. Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. Like, let's not talk about miracles. Let's not talk about your name. It's me. It's me. I'm the problem. <laughs> oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been. And I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue tied and my words get tangled. God, please don't embarrass me. God, please don't make me do something outside my comfort zone. This is scary. Don't make me do something that doesn't come naturally. And maybe this is something he got made fun of for his whole life, the way that he spoke, and it just traumatized him. So God replies back 
patiently. God understands when we have our questions and our doubts, right? He knows that we're working out our faith, that we're being stretched to get stronger in our faith. And he sees this in Moses, and so he replies with, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. Am I not the creator of all of this? Did I not give you that mouth that I'm calling you to use for me? How are you not seeing? I can do this through you. I gave you everything that you need to be a part of the story I'm calling you, to be a part of the purpose that I have for you. Moses replies a fifth time with an excuse. Lord, please send anyone else. It's desperate, right? At this point, there's no excuses except, I just don't want to do this. Please don't make me do this. And God was angry with Moses at this point, but still patient. God replies and says, okay, go get your brother Aaron. I know Aaron is good with words. You tell him the words I've told you, take those miracles with you, and I will be with you both. Now go. We're going to stop there in Moses' story. Moses is on a journey with God. Moses is in the midst of experiencing God. He's in a crisis of faith. There's that reality, right? The wrestling of God loves me, pursues me, he talks to me, but then, but then he calls me to work with him. And now I'm in a crisis of belief. Which way will I go? The fork in the road, the crisis. And, and God's invitation for you will always lead you to a crisis of belief before you, and, and then it requires faith and action. And here's where the rubber meets the road with our faith, right? God's not asking us to do anything more than good in your life or in someone else's life. But he understands that we have questions and uh, he understands and he's patient with us. Remember, this is a walk with God. We're staying in step with God. And Moses is working this out. He's working out his faith. James 2.14 says, what good is it? Dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? How can you say you have faith? You can have a belief. You can have a notion of God. How can you say you have faith, which means to trustingly obey, if you can't activate it? Faith is meant to be activated. Faith, remember, a crisis of belief requires faith and action. Faith and action equals obedience. It's doing what God says. And we do it scared sometimes. We do it when there's an uncertain future. We do it where we feel vulnerable. We let God show up. We let him be God and, and, and we follow in step with him. And this becomes a lifestyle which builds our trust in him. I've had to play this out so many times in my life. Let's just, I'm going to get real right now with where I'm at. I'm in the midst of a crisis of belief with God. I'm in a wrestling with God right now. I've been in ministry for 23 years. I love the local church. I love pastoring. I love seeing people come to a place where they can, they can experience hope and healing. I love being a part of community moments where God showed up and there's just nothing we could have done about it. And I know that you guys get that because look at your cross and how many baptisms you guys have had in the last couple of weeks. By the way, you need more crosses. 
and more light bulbs. Don't take my light bulb. Like, <laughs> it's only May. I love watching God's church be a place that's about life change and seeing other people come to faith. And it's my greatest, greatest honor and privilege. And I just love the best job on the planet. But recently, God made it really clear that I needed to step out of a position I held at a church for 13 years. I loved this job. I loved the community. I loved people. But I was so unhealthy physically, spiritually, emotionally bankrupt because the environment that I worked at was really unhealthy. Ever had a job like that? Anxiety off the charts, not eating well, not sleeping well, not being present as a mom. God said, it's time to go. And I'm like, well, where are we going? His answer to me every time, you guys, just be. I'm like, just become? What can I become? My crisis of belief is my struggle with my pride and my insecurity. God, who will I be without this job title? Who will I, where will I, where where, will my kids? Who's going to fill in the gap with my kids if they're not going to children's church every Sunday? God, how will I retire? You know, pastors don't receive social security. We opt out. Okay, what's my future look like, God? And I wrestle. And it's been painful and it's challenged my every understanding about comfort and control and, and resilience and my purpose. And I, I know that only God can take me to where he's leading. And this isn't about you guys feeling arrested by my emotions or being held hostage. Don't worry. I am doing great because God has brought me this far. And I remember those times. I'm feeding on his promises, and I feel so good. And just to give you a heads up, when you're going through a crisis of belief, it gets really quiet, and your insecurities can get really loud when you feel out of control, and you have to cling to God. And I can tell you for certain, the good news when you're inside a crisis of belief, because it's a path, I've never felt more peace in my entire life. I've never felt more purpose. I've never felt God speaking me and walking with me more than just letting go of what I was holding on to. I mean, look at that moment with my kid in the car. I had just asked God that morning. I am good, and I found purpose getting to speak with different groups and getting to hang out with my neighbors at the local uh, coffee shops, and I am feeling great, but it's scary to let go and let God be in control. And it was good to let go of something I thought was good for me, and it wasn't. So let's talk about you. God invites you to walk with him, to take one step at a time. What does that look like? What if you chose to take one step as he's nudging you in the direction of doing something that feels a little uncomfortable? What could he do in your relationship with your kids? What could he do in your marriage? What could he do in your business? What could he do with your health or with your family or, or just in your life in general? When people say being a Christian is it's, it's a relationship, it's not a religion, that's what this is. It's walking with God and it's wrestling through our faith and choosing to step and take action and walking in ways that we know we are uncertain, but we believe God's got us. God's got us. God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and 
action. So what is God calling you to do that's uncomfortable or scary? What is he calling you to let go of? Who is he calling you to talk to about him or about forgiveness and reconciliation? Who is he, where is he having you go? Maybe someplace unfamiliar to be a light or maybe someplace familiar, even more scary, inside our homes, in our businesses. Turn on the light and shine Jesus when you've been dim. What's God calling you to do and what could he do in your life if you were to accept the invitation and let go of the excuses and let him lead? Moses was a man of many excuses but was later praised in the New Testament more than any other people in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the Hall of Faith where it's listed off, the writer of Hebrews lists off all the people of the Bible that had faith and the great things that they did. Moses has the most scripture connected to him. What a dream it would be to know the end of your story because we're here in the midst with Moses realizing he's struggling with whether or not he's going to go to Pharaoh. But now we know from Hebrews 11, he did that and he's now been praised for that. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by what? Faith. What? It was by what? Faith. It's by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by what? Faith. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground, but the Egyptians tried to follow and they were all drowned. It was by faith. Plus action equals obedience. There's no other way these things could have happened in Moses' life had he not activated his faith. So what's your story? Where in your heart do you feel God speaking to you? Maybe you don't feel him speaking to you. Maybe it's time to consider if you can't hear God right now, like I couldn't, it's really easy to live as a godless Christian. I can give myself that title Christian, but not live in step with God. Not accept the invitation, this radical life he wants me to live, this journey, this amazing, beautiful story he wants to paint and perfect in me. If you can't hear him, here's the next step I'm going to encourage you to take. It's to fast. If you can't hear God, you have cluttered your life up. And I don't know if that's food for comfort. I don't know if that's just a discipline. I don't know if that's keeping your schedule very busy, your social calendar all filled up. I don't know if that's scrolling and numbing out on social media or TV or sleeping all day. I don't know your story. I know mine. Anxiety, depression, all ways of numbing, zombieing out to not hear because it's too hard. It's time to fast. Maybe it's time to wake up 15 minutes early and just talk to God. 
maybe five minutes early. Start, start easy. <laughs> I'm not a morning person. Maybe it's just to soak in his scripture. One scripture a day. If you can hear him, and here inside a crisis of belief, you feel it right now. I know you do. It's time to decide. You got that fork in the road. Will I let my excuses run the show? Or will I let God lead? Here's how you push forward too, right? Because you can't see this way. I can think I see this way. I can draw all kinds of maps. Think I know where I'm going. I can't see this way. What do I do? I hold on to God's promises. And if you don't know God's promises or if you're blank right now, you can just Google them. He'll never leave or forsake you. Slow to anger, patient. He, he loves. There's no condemnation for your sin because he sent Jesus. That he, when you're being tempted, he always provides a way out. And then I'm going to encourage you, if you're still in this crisis, as you're soaking in God's word, as you're holding on to his promises, I'm going to give you something really tangible that I got from my friend Jess, who's in the battle of her life right now. She's going through a struggle with cancer. And she's an incredible woman of God. I love her. And she said, you know, Bree, I have a hard time just getting out of bed. And when I go to my checkups, it's very discouraging sometimes. How do I keep my eyes on God? This is what I do. I have this simple word problem I fill out every day and I stick it all over my house and I put it all over my, my car, my office, wherever I need it, put it in my purse. And so this is what it is. I don't know why, dot, dot, dot. But I know that God... I don't know why I have cancer of all the people. How unfair. But I know that God is the ultimate healer. I know he's healing my soul and hopefully my body. I know he's healing me. And he is my hope and he's an anchor for his, the hope that he gives is an anchor for the soul. And I will hold on to him. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know why I'm single. God, when I really want a family. But I know that God sees me like he saw Hagar in the Bible. He sees me. He loves me. He will provide for me. Put that desire in my heart. I got to devote myself to him. I don't know why I've got this Goliath in my life, this struggle that I, it has a hold on me. But I know that God is strong when I feel weak. Or I don't know how. I don't know how to talk to my nine-year-old about Jesus and I'm a pastor. Gosh. But I know that God will give me the words to say, like he did for Moses with Pharaoh. I don't know how I'm supposed to find my next job position. I just know that God has me where he has me, and I love it. And it's the most exciting adventure of my life. I don't know why. I don't know how. But I know that God, experiencing God, that's what it is. May we choose to focus on God's promises, letting go of all of our hangups, letting him lead so we can fully experience him and the journey and the beautiful story he wants us all to have. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful to get to be a part of this church today and these hearts and these people with stories that are here that are seeking you, that are searching for you, that have doubts about you. Lord, I pray that they can hear you. Lord, I pray that they could activate their faith when they feel scared. I pray you give them strength. I pray you give them this community to hold them up. We thank you, God, for Jesus, for being the ultimate example. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.